on on Wednesday nights. I don't know why, but I do. <clears throat> Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Amen. What a blessed hope that we have. We're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. So let's think about why we belong in church. Why is church so important? Why do we emphasize it so much? I want you to listen to how our opening passages re reads from the message translation. It goes something like this. God is building a home. He is using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. No, he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. There are times, and I recognize, and we all do, I think, when we need to be alone with God in prayer. In fact, I recommend that daily. We very much need our quiet time and our alone time, as I call it, with God. However, there are other times when we can only experience the fullness of his presence as we come together with God's people. He designed it that way. If you will, the church is uh, similar or to a corporate headquarters. Now, here's what I mean by that. When people who are individually dwelt by the Holy Spirit meet there for worship, for praise, for instructions, for encouragement and service, God's Spirit shows up in a powerful way and we grow as we experience His presence and hear His Word. Amen. There's nothing that can take the place of that interaction and that time together like we, as we call church. We can pray alone. We can worship alone. We can praise God alone. We can read the Bible alone. But that doesn't negate the necessity for us coming together as God's children and his people collectively. You see, the world and circumstances may oftentimes just beat us down all week. Sometimes even get us to the point we feel like we're losing the battle. But when we gather with other members of Jesus Christ's body we should be reminded that we are on the winning side. In fact, as you oftentimes like to you hear me say, we're on the side that won. Jesus Christ won the battle at the cross. We're on the side that won. You see, it's difficult to celebrate all by ourselves. I have a birthday every June the 6th. And it's just no fun celebrating your birthday by yourself. It's difficult to celebrate by ourselves. When we have something we're celebrating, we like to call folks together so we can share the joy, right? 
Here's the thing. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is so excited about his victory at the cross that he calls us together as a collective body to celebrate what he achieved for us on the cross. And celebration like spiritual growth is a group project. We'll never grow by being a hermit. We'll never grow by remaining isolated. So now, with all that being said, let's think about being and remaining teachable. I invite your attention to a passage from Proverbs, in fact, it's chapter 15 and verse 14, that reads like this. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. But the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. Oftentimes, as I have learned over the years, talented individuals have difficulties when it comes to remaining teachable. It's part of our nature. And I've also come to learn that oftentimes gifted people act like they, uh, they've got it all together and they know what needs to be known and know it all, right? The thing is, that makes it hard for them to continue developing. And as you have heard me say time and time again, we will continue our process of development until Jesus either takes us out by death or he calls the church home. You see, teachability is not so much about competence and mental capacity as it is about attitude. It's the hunger to discover and grow. As I've said, and I don't say this lightly and I don't say it jesting, the more I read and study my Bible and the more I think I know, the more I realize what I don't know. It's the willingness to learn, to unlearn, and to relearn. There's been times in my process of education through my life I've had to unlearn some things and relearn them because I had it wrong. John Wooden said, and I quote, It's what you learn after you know it all that counts. End of quote. When we stop learning, we'll stop leading. Only as we remain teachable will we keep growing and continue to make an impact. We must remain teachable. I often get a kick out of folks that will buy something, a piece of furniture, whatever it might be, that requires putting it together. I hear folks sometimes, I never read the instructions, I just open it up and start putting it together. Well, I'm one of those type of people, if I get something that has to be assembled, I read the instructions. Because I recognize that just looking at it, I don't know it all. <laughs> According to historians, aside from being an astonishing painter and sculptor, Leonardo da Vinci was a genius in more fields than any scientist of any age. In fact, the historian said that his notebooks were hundreds of years ahead of their time. He had written and anticipated about submarines and helicopters and other modern inventions. In fact, in one notebook he wrote this, and I quote, Iron rusts 
from disuse. Stagnant water loses its purity and in cold weather becomes frozen. Even so does inaction sap the vigor of the mind. End quote. Just as muscles will atrophy if you don't use them, the mind will atrophy if we don't use it. Leonardo da Vinci was driven by his desire to know more. In fact, he was learning and writing discoveries in his notebooks until the very end of his life. And the good news is, we don't have to have the mind or talent of Leonardo da Vinci to be teachable. We just have to have the right attitude. I think perhaps one of the most important skills for anyone to acquire in learning is how to learn. To go to sources, to find the answers, to search and to know and to learn these things. What we need to do on occasion is ask others for their advice on any given subject and deliberately withhold the advice that we might normally give. And then note what you have learned by being attentive to other ideas and thoughts. If you heard me say, I learned so much by just sitting and listening to folks. And I promise you, you'll be amazed. With that said, let's think about Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 15. And it goes like this. The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. As it relates to remaining teachable, there are two things that we must understand. Number one, two things we must understand. Nothing is interesting if you are not interested. Nothing is interesting if you're not interested. For me to sit down and read something that does not interest me, oh boy, it is a challenge. A gentleman by the name of Philip B. Crosby writes this, and I quote, There is a theory of human behavior that says people subconsciously retard their growth. They come to rely on cliches and habits. Once they reach the age of their own personal comfort with the world, they stop learning and their minds run on idle for the rest of their days. They may progress organizationally, they may be ambitious and eager, and they may even work night and day, however, learn no more. End quote. You see, it's a tragedy when we allow ourselves to get in a rut and never climb out. And you'd be surprised how many of us, how many people live in a rut. When we do that, we miss the best that God has to offer us. God is not the God that designed the rut. He is exciting and adventurous. In contrast, teachable people are fully engaged in life. They get excited about things. Get excited about learning new things. They are interested in discovery and discussion, application and growth. The second thing we must understand as it relates to remaining teachable is this. 
Number two, successful people view learning differently than those who are unsuccessful. Now, please understand, that doesn't mean that unsuccessful people are unable to think the way successful people do. I'm not saying that at all. If you have the desire and the discipline, you can retain or you can retrain yourself to think differently. Here's the thing I've come to learn about teachable people. And that is they're always open to new ideas and are willing to learn from anyone who has something to offer. In my nearly 40 years in the pulpit, I have had the privilege to teach and to preach to a variety of people. You learn after you do that a few years who in the congregation, if you pan the congregation very much, who is teachable and who is not, who's paying attention and who's not, who is interested and who is not. Sidney J. Harris wrote, and I quote, A winner knows how much he still has to learn even when he is considered an expert by others. A loser wants to be considered an expert by others before he has learned enough to know how little he knows. End of quote. I like that. A winner knows how much he still has to learn even when he is considered an expert by others. And a loser wants to be considered an expert by others before he has learned enough to know how little he knows. You see, it's all a matter of attitude. Bottom line, it's truly remarkable how much a person has to learn before he or she realizes how little they really know. So it's important that we remain teachable because God has so much more He wants to tell us, so much more He wants to share with us. You've heard me tell this about my great uncle, Casimir Magin, many times before, but I'll share it with you again. He read the Bible every year and studied. I mean, when he read, he studied. He didn't just scratch over the surface. And every year he always told me he learned something that he did not know the time before. Something that he didn't pick up and see. So we must remain teachable. We must be teachable, and then when we are teachable, we must remain teachable. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 14 reads like this. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. That from the wisest man other than Jesus Christ that ever lived. Happy is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding, for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. When considering the subject of being and remaining teachable, I can't help but recall the occasion found in Acts chapter 4. When Peter and John, shortly after the healing of the lame man at the gate of the temple, they're arrested, thrown in jail for preaching in the name of Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Going before the Sanhedrin Council, the Bible shares this with us in chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. That their rulers 
elders and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? It goes on to tell us, and I'll paraphrase, and Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit, he stood and he preached one of the most powerful and dynamic messages recorded in the Bible. It wasn't a long message, but it was a powerful message, and it was full of knowledge. Now, please understand, here were these men... From the standpoint of academia, they were uneducated. They were unlearned in the schools of public speaking and theology. None of them had gone to school to learn how to be a public speaker. None of them had gone to school to learn theology. And here they are before these group of elitists, and I do mean elitists, who thought, by all accounts, they were educated and knew it all. The Sanhedrin Council. These were the guys that answered all the questions. I want you to pay close attention now to the effects that this exchange had on this group of elite individuals. Something took place that they they just couldn't help but notice. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 tells us this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, in other words, they didn't speak timidly, they didn't, Address it as if, you know, there was questionable things in their mind. I mean, they just stood up and boom. As they perceived, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that these were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. What a difference it makes to be in the presence of the Master, the educator of all educators, the teacher of all teachers. These guys were taken back. These elitists, these guys that had all the answers to all religious questions and issues were taken back when Peter stood and preached this short but yet effective and powerful message that he did. In fact, if you don't mind, let me just share with you Peter's message. It's only um, just a few verses. It goes like this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Notice how he addressed them respectfully, with honor, did not belittle them said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him... This man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders. 
you notice how you look at the phrasing of those passages. In one hand, he's complimenting. In the next hand, he is gently smacking them right in the face. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders. You're the builders and you rejected the stone. <laughs> which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in the other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. One of the paradoxes of life is that the things which initially make us successful are not necessarily the things that keep us successful. We have to remain open to new ideas and be willing to learn new skills. I cannot tell you the number of different trades and And jobs that I have learned over the years in my secular profession. Dr. Jane J. Conrad Hole says this, and I quote, If you cannot be teachable, having talent won't help you. If you cannot be flexible, having a goal won't help you. If you cannot be grateful, having abundance won't help you. If you cannot be mentorable, having a future won't help you. If you cannot be durable, having a plan won't help you. End of quote. Now before I close, let's uh, turn to our hearts to Paul. Confined in a dungeon and facing the certainty of an executioner's chopping block, Paul writes to Timothy. He asks him to bring him some things. Now one might think, here's a man, he knows, Paul knows his days are numbered. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. That's what he told Timothy. But as he's closing his second letter to Timothy, there were two things he told Timothy to bring to him when he come to visit. Bring, number one, writing paper. I still have some, something to say, Timothy. And the second thing, bring the books. I still have more to learn. In fact, here's how this passage reads, just in case you're wondering, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. Bring the cloak that I left with Corpus, with Carpus and at Troas when you come. And the books, especially the parchments. Until they sever, in other words, Paul said, until they sever my head, I still have some things to learn and I still have some things to write. And you see, learning should be our lifelong pursuit. I'm not talking about sitting in a classroom in that particular environment all the time. And there's a time for that. There's a place for that. The Roman scholar Cato started to study Greek when he was 80 years of age. And someone asked him why he was tackling such a difficult task at his age. 
he replied this way, and I quote, It's the earliest age I have left. End of quote. And unlike Cato, too many of us regard learning as an event instead of a process. The mindset of many today is they went through grade school, middle school, high school, college, graduate, I'm done. And we've only just begun. I've learned more after I got out of my, my formal education than I ever learned the many years I was in formal education. It's estimated that only one-third of all adults read an entire book after their graduation. And perhaps the reason for that is because they, re- they view education as a period of life, not a way of life. Well, I've done my high school years, I've done my four years of college, and now I'm done. I don't want to learn no more. I don't want to... Every stage of life... In fact, let me say this. Learning is an activity that is not restricted by age. Every stage of life presents lessons to be learned. We can choose to be teachable and continue to learn them, or we can be closed-minded and stop growing. The decision is up to us. There's not a time that I talk to my dad who is over 90 years of age and he loves to spend time studying the Bible. He's all the time finding something he didn't see the time before. Amen. So let's remain teachable. God has so much more for us if we'll let him. Have so much for us to understand. Amen. I want to remind you, as Brother Bordeaux is making his way this direction,